Hi everyone, and welcome to Cybersecurity Career Talks. I am Nilofa Tamboli, your host, your coach, your teacher on this journey with you as we explore different roles in cybersecurity until you find your dream job. I am so excited because today we have with us a member of the executive leadership team at Verizon, Kevin Anthony Grounds. He leads the cybersecurity strategy and enterprise information risk management team. Kevin is a member of the IoT European Council and a fellow of BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT. He is currently the chairman of the USA section. Locally, Gavin serves as the vice president of the Austin Isaka chapter. Gavin is a musician and races marathons and has authored several international and US patterns. He gives back to the community by volunteering for causes that benefit children, prevent suicides and eradicate extreme poverty. But before we start, we have a disclaimer. The views expressed in this presentation and during the session are the personal opinions of the participants and do not reflect the official policy of their respective employers. This discussion is a volunteer-led effort to contribute to the profession and pay forward the many kindnesses and instances of support and guidance the participants have received in the course of their career. Thank you, Kevin, and we are going to learn a lot from you today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me, Nilof, and looking forward to the session. Thank you. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your journey and uh, how you, like, did you start off in cybersecurity or how did you get, get, get uh, where you are today? Well, um, I, it was, a, I guess, a series of accidents. <laughs> uh, one of them was actually quite literally. So I started my career in, uh, as an electronics and electrical engineer. And uh, whilst on the job, I actually got injured, literally. So it was an accident and I crushed uh, two fingers uh, when I was uh, on, on the job, which basically meant that I was office bound. And so for several months, um, what I was focused on at work was essentially developing a stock control uh, system. So I went from you know, programming in, in machine code and EPROMs and on circuit boards to actually uh, program a stock control system. So that's how I got into software management and from there, or software development rather, and from there I uh, expanded that into writing um, communications protocols. So in disparate systems that, that ordinarily would be difficult to kind of communicate with each other, writing specific communication protocols um, so that they could communicate and exchange information. And that was in the really in the uh, OT space, the operating technology. So think about you know uh, waste disposal plants or or you know gas and oil uh, refineries, places like that. Um, and then from there, that just kind of led me to more down the right road of, uh, of of integrated architecture design. So literally designing ways that systems, disparate systems, could communicate with each other and exchange data. Uh, which led me then into um, more of a what you might think of as, as a traditional software and systems engineering um, track. And so with that, I actually formed a small software house, a software company, uh, and we specialized in uh, industrial waste management systems uh, and developing those, both, covering both the OT side and the IT side and bringing those together. And that led me to, uh, to international network design. So, uh, so then I actually left the UK. This is where the accent is from. It's not a Texas accent, by the way, as you probably figured out. 
So I left the UK and I, I worked for, at the time, it was the largest offshore bank uh, in the world and designed and then subsequently led the operations of their, their international network. And in doing so, um, one of the things that became clear was the business need that we had um, was that we, most of our clients uh, were, were onshore uh, and we were an offshore bank. And so apart from, you know, we had, we had offices in, in trade in trade and floors around the world. So New York, you know, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, and so on. But a lot of our offices were actually in, uh, in, in financially offshore locations. So I actually lived in Bermuda, for example, for five years. Uh, and, you know, home, sorry if that makes anyone feel horribly jealous, but it was, that was a really, uh, really, really wonderful five years. Um, but, you know, we had uh, offices in places like the Cayman Islands and Luxembourg and Mauritius and so on. And so the challenge we had was that most of our clients were onshore and we were offshore. And so the challenge became not only to how, how to facilitate that, that communication at scale and globally, but how to do that securely. And so I pioneered a number of initiatives around what we call secure client, uh, secure remote client access. And so I pioneered a few um, of the earlier implementations of, of a global uh, PKI-based encryption and global PKI-based certification uh, methodology. And that's really how I started to transition more into the security and risk side of, uh, of you know, what I was doing for, for my role. Um, as a, uh, you know, so it's more, can I say more security and risk focused than it was, you know, your typical kind of IT network slash communications. So like I say, a series of, uh, it wasn't by design, let me, let me summarize it that way, just uh, it was a, just a continuous development and change. That's interesting. Um, so basically you were prepared for like secure communication with offshore teams before even COVID hit you. You'd gone through this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Okay, so somebody who is like transitioning from say IT or something into a career in cybersecurity, they want to get noticed within their organization. What are some things that you recommend for those people? Yeah, I think um, first of all, another friend, and you know, we, we've chatted about this a little bit in the past, and you know, the, you know, I've often kind of quoted the phrase where you know people say you have to start from somewhere, uh, and so whether we're doing a you know a complete transformation or whether we're, we're embarking on you know, strategy development and execution of that strategy, there's that phrase that you've got to start from somewhere. But really that's a kind of odd phrase because there's only one place you can start from and that's exactly where you are. Uh, so um, in fact, I've, I've said this a few times, but it reminds me of you know, when I was a child, I'd be with my grandmother, my family are from you know, Irish. And, uh, and so you know, if somebody stops you in the street and would ask for directions, she'd say, you know, how, can you get, how do I get to such and such a place? And she'd say, well, I wouldn't start from here if I were you. And you'd see this kind of puzzled look on the person's face. And then she'd chuckle and, uh, and then she'd just, you know, give the, the, the directions. But it is the funniest thing to say, you know, you, you've got to start from somewhere. In reality, you've got to start from where you are. So think about that in the context of, of your, your question, uh, Nelifer, about, you know, let's say if I'm in IT audit, you know, how do I start to, to kind of create that journey to move more into a cybersecurity and a risk um, uh, area. Or the same if I'm in, you know, another area of, of IT or some other operations. And what I've found is, particularly when it comes to uh, cybersecurity and information risk management, is, um, is to kind of challenge everything with a question, so what? And that might sound strange, but uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of, of what, how that helps. Because let's say if I'm in IT audit, uh, and I'm looking at an environment, and let's say the you know the, the corporate policy says that um, 
you know, that by default, we should have multi-factor authentication. So if we're doing an audit and we're auditing against a particular policy uh, or standards uh, definition, then it's, it's very much a, 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 um, a, almost like a binary consideration. You know, so it's like if A plus B equals C, then good. So if policies and standards say multi-factor authentication is necessary, is it there? Yes, no. If it's not, then not good kind of thing. So how do you go from, from that perspective to, to a, a cyber risk and an information risk perspective? And that is by asking the question, so what? And you ask it multiple times. So we don't have multiple multi-factor authentication. So what? Well, that means the system is maybe more susceptible. Yeah, but so what? And it sounds odd, but the more you ask the, well, so what? What we're really asking is, well, what's the business impact of that? You know, so, so if the system is, let's say, managing the, the cafeteria menu, or if the system is a, is a trading system, then ultimately the answer to so what is a very different answer. In other words, it's kind of to what degree do we care the fact that, we, that this kind of, you know, this has shown up on an audit. And what that, that does is it really will start to think about now risk management. And so by default, just by asking, so what, you know, what, what are the implications of that? What, what, what would, what's the impact? What's the, what, you know, that, that becomes a risk, risk management kind of conversation in our, in our, in our own mind. So, and by the way, I'm not encouraging anyone to be antagonistic and argumentative, <laughs> but it really is it's the process of just asking, so what, in other words, why, why does that matter? And, and to what degree does it matter? So that's just one example of, um, you know, in, in IT audit, I'd say, you know, if we're in any other IT function, um, when you think about the role that we all play in cybersecurity, there's a there's a role for pretty much everybody and everywhere in the, in the in the operation. So let's think of example, uh, you know, uh, code-based vulnerabilities. So it may well be a, you know one of our cybersecurity SMEs. If I'm a developer, you know, one of our cybersecurity SMEs might have highlighted to me and said, "Hey, you realize that the, the, that library that you're using is, is, you know, got X number of vulnerabilities, and some of those vulnerabilities have been exploited." But when you think about, well, what comes next? So we've had, we've had the so what. So now we're on the well, what comes next? Um, that cybersecurity um, subject matter expert is likely. It's not likely that she or he is actually going to go ahead and fix that library. I, as the developer have to go ahead and, 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 you know, change my code and then and, and go through the whole process of, you know, testing, recompiling and, and, and releasing and push to promotion or promote to production rather, I should say. So when you think about it, then I'm already having a very active role in the secure cybersecurity of the platform, uh, even though I'm not in necessarily a cybersecurity role specifically. So if, if you, you know, if any of the, 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 the audience here, if you're in that kind of scenario where you're in another area of IT, it's really about analyzing what your role already currently is or could be in the role that you're in to actually contribute to, uh, you know, to the overall um, security posture of, of the organization. And the third um, example I'd like to share another is, uh, you know, I had a conversation recently with somebody that had gone through a, through a, a cybersecurity uh, program with one of the, uh, the universities here in the, in the U.S., and they were coming from a completely different career path. So the particular individual, he was in, um, in the service industry. Um, so, you know, hospitality. And so he was really struggling. And he, and he, he made the comment, he said, you know, how, how, do I, um, how do I get into cybersecurity? I've, I've done my study, I've passed this exam, you know. Um, he said, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting at the beginning. And so one of the things I pointed out to him is, um, 
is that oftentimes when we think about cybersecurity, we almost always think of the technology. I mean, the two examples I just gave were technology examples, right? Uh, about, about coding or, or, or your MFA, excuse me. <clears throat> but what we need to remember is that there's also process and people are equally as important. So what I, uh, I, I you know, highlighted to that gentleman is that being in the service industry, that means that he's not starting from the beginning. He has got firsthand experience of how humans work, you know, how humans interact with each other, how, how they um, interrelate to each other. And so when we think about the people in the people process and technology of security, think about how many security breaches are, are um, foundationally enabled through social engineering. So as, as somebody that's, that's got you know, firsthand experience in, in how humans interrelate to each other and how humans operate and, and how they build relationships and how humans build trust with each other, all of that, are those, those are all key elements to understand when it comes to understanding social engineering, which is one of the big threads, as we know, of, uh, of you know, cybersecurity risk. And so I'd, I'd encourage everyone to just think about that, you know, it's, it's the technology, it's the people and it's the process. You may be a process, uh, you may be an expert in process re-engineering. Well, process re-engineering is, is needed everywhere. So if, you, if you're experienced in process engineering, then you are not starting from scratch in cybersecurity. If you're, if you're experienced in, in how humans interrelate to each other, you are not starting from scratch because like we said, you know, you, you've got the ability to understand how humans build trust and how social engineering can basically work. And then, of course, if you're in any area of IT or IT audit, then you, you've got the, the IT perspectives where you can say, how can I kind of expand the way I operate today in my current role to, to, to really, you know, to learn and contribute more to the, to the cybersecurity uh, uh, and the protection of the organization? Great. I've, I've come across people who basically whenever I'm talking with them, they say, oh, I am in IT, but I don't have any cybersecurity experience. So what you said is perfect for everybody because that allows them to demonstrate what experience they have. People process technology. It's really not just penetration testing or something of that sort. And in 2017, I founded this uh, uh, New Jersey SECon, which is Cyber uh, Social Engineering Conference. And at that time, people were wondering if, you know, because social engineering used to be part of just an add-on to a security conference. And then we said, no, we are going to concentrate on social engineering because what we saw is that like there were customers who were not secure. They were like getting defrauded by um, bad actors and ex uh, everything. And now it, social engineering is one of the biggest threat vectors that we face today. Um, coming back to our like career from, from a career per perspective, between education, experience, certifications, if you had to pick two, which one do you think like people need to focus on? Because if you don't have experience, you really don't have experience. So can you just uh, shed a few words on uh, that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very interesting question, first of all, which, which of the two, which two of the three would, would I prioritize? Um, and I would say it, it really does depend on, on context. So, um, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I started out as a, um, electronics, uh, an electrical engineer. And, um, I also, um, was got, got married 
um, you know, quite young. And so uh, I was fortunate enough that, that my wife was willing to continue raising me. So that's kind of worked out well so far. But the reason why I'm highlighting that is that meant that I was actually, you know, uh, taking care of a family and working full time and studying for, for my degree at the same time. And so I was able to get, uh, you know, get started in uh, in electrical and electronics engineering through that combination of being of, of so kind of on the job learning as well as then ultimately getting my uh, my degree. Um, and so, you know, when we think about then which is more experience, which is more um, important, first of all, experience. You, you know, we can often feel, well, I don't have the experience yet. I need the job first that will give me the experience. Mm-hmm. But in some of the examples that I've just given, uh, you know. The, the, the gentleman that was looking to move out of the um, hospitality industry already had experience, had experience in how people work, how, how they interrelate to each other. You know, um, I was building my experience on the job well before I ultimately got my degree in, uh, in you know, in, in computer science and, and, and systems management. Um, so I'd say, the, first of all, you know, any, none of us should feel um, like we have zero experience. You know, the only time, there's only one time in life where we had zero experience that was, you know, right before we were born, because the moment we were born, and in fact, we were having in the womb experiences. So not, so, you know, not in reality, we've all got some, some degree of experience and we can apply that experience in, in so many different contexts that we perhaps didn't think about before. Um, but having said that, I think experience is, you know, foundational. Uh, and so, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's good if you're looking to transition into cybersecurity to really look for where you can, you know, create the, those opportunities to, to, to gain the experience. So if you're, if you're in networking, look for those opportunities actively where you can do something that's more, you're still in your kind of perv, current purview, but, but is more around the concepts and the principles of security. So it becomes more of a, of a, of a, of a, of a transition. And then on education, uh, I, again, I think education is is uh, you know it's it's a found, it's a foundational it's it's foundationally important, um, and not least of which because in our education, I think the most important thing that we do learn is we learn how to learn, and for for every single one of us, our own in learning style is different, and so you know I think the the the, uh, the whole objective of, of, of education, we can sometimes think I need a degree or I need to get my master's or whatever the case might be. Um, but it critically important is learning how we learn, you know, literally to understand ourselves and, and how, what, how we best learn because the, probably the day we stop learning is the day we're not living anymore. You know, we, we're always, always learning. So education I think is important from all those perspectives. And then certifications, I think, you know, um, we could look at certifications almost like two extremes. We could look at one where, um, you know, we have so many certifications that after our name, it looks like an alphabet soup, you know, um, whereas the, the, another perspective on certifications is that a certification gives an indication that we have both the operating and the academic understanding of a specific domain. So I think certifications, you know, are, are, are uh, again, also kind of useful and important from that perspective. I know you asked for two, Nilofer, of the two of the three. Um, so let me come back to that a little bit more specifically. And I'm going to answer that from two perspectives. One is from the perspective of, this is just my personal view. Um, but then from the perspective of, of like, you know, career development and career enhancement. Uh, so my personal view is, uh, I think experience is, is critical. Uh, I, I think, you know, let's say education is critical and certifications 
in the context of the roles or the either the target role or the role we're in becomes an endorsement. But um, you know, one of the things that I'd really like to see uh, our entire industry focus more on, and again, as you mentioned in your disclaimer, this is the opinion of me myself, um, not not any organisation that I represent. Um, but but I'd really love to see in cybersecurity and in risk management, I'd really love to see us do far more around um, uh, around like an, an apprenticeship type model. Because, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, perhaps even, you know, listening to them right now, we, we perhaps feel frustrated sometimes that we might be looking at, you know, job descriptions and whether it's on LinkedIn or, you know, other, other hiring uh, systems. And it will say, you know, minimum requirements, you know, a, a, a degree in a bachelor's degree in, in, in technology or a bachelor's degree in science or related field. And so we can therefore feel very impeded. We might have three, three master degrees in three other fields, you know. Um, but now we, we've kind of been precluded by that by that one um, one requirement, or it could be somebody not dissimilar to my own circumstances, where you know you come from a, from a, a particular um, uh, life experience, where you know you're you're in the process of actually attaining a, a degree while you're while you're working. So, you know, um, I think I would love to see that our industry really focus on that. You know, for certain roles. Does, does the bachelor's degree become the prerequisite or are there certain roles where we can essentially build like an apprenticeship model where the, where we, the, the person is, del, is contributing and learning and expanding? So that's, that's my personal view. Now, let me, say, let me go to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for, from, a, you know, from, a, from a hiring perspective. So because most of, the jo- most of the job descriptions do still look like that, you know, say, uh, you know, prerequisites for the role and then it would say preferred um, qualifications they might say preferred you know CISSP or CISM and so on and one of the challenges I see in Elipper is uh, you know especially for a larger larger organizations is that the first person that reviews your resume or reviews your application is not going to be the hiring manager you know the first person that reviews it is going to be somebody that's assigned as a, as a recruiter and their role is to try to take the, you know, however many hundreds of resumes they receive and applications, and they're trying to build the, the shortlist. And so, by the way, oftentimes that process is either done by or assisted by some kind of AI. So there'll be some kind of literally code, you know, software that is scanning your application, scanning the resume, looking for some of those key either certifications or um, buzzwords like project management or, you know, whatever, whatever the, those kind of come as some of the key skills. That, uh, and so we may all get filtered out um, because of that. Um, and so therefore, for, from a practical perspective, you know, what I would encourage is, let's say, for example, if you're already studying your, um, I'm going to use CISM just as an example, if you're already studying for your CISM, um, but you have not yet attained it then state on your resume that you're studying for your CISM. Because for that first suite, which is often done by code, that's going to be looking for, for, for those, you know, for those keywords in, in your resume, then you'll make it past that, that first uh, hurdle, you might say. Um, and so that's a way, you know, because what we're, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get the opportunity for, to be in front of the hiring manager and, and to have that conversation is this is where I am in my career. This is all my experience. Hey, I understand how humans interact with each other. I totally understand how social engineering can and does happen. And I'm currently studying for my ex. But we want to have that um, um, for that. You know, we want to have that conversation with ideally with the hiring manager and not get screened out. So perhaps a longer answer to your question, but I think 
you know, for those reasons, because of the way in general, the industry does do primary kind of down selection um, to, to get down to that, that first kind of shortlist, uh, then I, th I think that blend of, of, you know, education, well, education is important regardless, right? Um, so education, certification, and then the experience we, we, we build along, along the way. So the, I don't think it really is the, the two of the three. I think it's really just making sure that we, we balance it and, and don't be shy of, of, you know, like I say, I'm going to repeat it because I think it's important, Nilo, for it is don't be shy of stating on your resume what you are currently studying for. You know, what you've already attained is, is one thing, but stating what you're currently studying for is equally important. And not, by the way, just to make it through those automated screenings, because when we, when we state on our resume what we're currently studying for, we're also demonstrating to, to a potential hiring manager that we are in a constant state of learning. We are constantly trying to develop ourselves. We can't, we're trying to keep ourselves current uh, and relevant with what's going on in, in the industry. So perhaps not quite a two of three, but that's, uh, that's how I kind of think about those, uh, those three perspectives. No, this is, this is great, great input. So what we heard is that you have to learn and basically keep on um, bettering yourself. Another thing is that in your resume, when you are talking about what you have achieved putting down a line about like working towards something is just as important to get through the automated screening process and to have that conversation with a hiring manager so that they understand where you're coming from and where you're what you're doing um, great great feedback i was just when we when we talk about like the apprenticeship process right in all the other professions like i'm a cpa uh, I had to work for a CPA for one year to get my license. So that works. My niece is uh, becoming a doctor and she has to go through uh, years of, you know, working in uh, real life settings, clinical settings to get her license to practice, et cetera. But what has happened, I think, within cybersecurity is people from IT transitioned over and we just missed that connection. Or we missed that point where uh, we said, okay, we need to have that process, the, the internship process or that apprenticeship process, which is going to help others come along. Because I understand like when you say like CISSP required or CISSP preferred or something, CISSP back in the day used to just to pass the exam. And even today, like you had to have five years of experience. Today, what has happened is that you can sit and study for the exam and then get five years experience later on. So Great, great feedback from you, uh, Gavin. And you are the section uh, chairman for USA for uh, BCS. Can you talk a little bit about how BCS helps somebody uh, have prepared for uh, the, the profession and, and the process that it takes you through? Yeah, so, so BCS, and if, if you know, if I was curious, it's bcs.org. So, yeah, and it started out originally as the British Computer Society, hence the, yeah, the acronym BCS. Um, and over the years, excuse me, what's <clears throat> Over the years, it's, it, it really developed to, um, to uh, handling a lot of the, the, the charter ships for the, for the engineering council. So, when you think of like a chartered engineer, you know, a charter uh, IT professional. Uh, and so that be, that became administered by BCS for the 
for, the, for those uh, engineering councils. And then that, of course, expanded into, and into its connectivity with the European Engineering Council as well. So over time, BCS went from being the British Computer Society to now being, excuse me a second, I've gone so dry this morning, <coughs> to now being the, the, um, the, the uh, Chartered Institute for IT. And so what BCS does or has, amongst other things, it has a, an entire training program. And so literally from, from a, it has a student program. So if somebody's coming, you know, perhaps straight out of high school and they're embarking on, on their college education, uh, they can study either in parallel with BCS or can study with BCS. So um, it's particularly useful uh, as well for people that are coming through, going through the process of, of, of a career change. So they have a, a whole range of, of training programs and the way that they, um, essentially operate is uh, there's a, it's, it's a really great combination of you know self-paced um, but, but also um, kind of academia style teaching and education as well and so for the for the ultimate kind of a certification from BCS it's essentially in the US it's the it's the equivalent of a bachelor's where honors so it's a it's a bachelor's of science uh, with, with honors and uh, so it's a four-year program and uh, it is, <clears throat> excuse me, it is recognized both by the Department of Labor in the U.S. Uh, so, for example, if somebody's, you know, from outside of the U.S. and, and they're looking to potentially take a, a, a job or to, to emigrate to the U.S., um, it is recognized by the Department of Labor as a Bachelor of Science with honors and equally by, um, by the universities and colleges here in the U.S. as well. So let's say, for example, if somebody wanted to, move, to go in and take, go, you know, to take a master's um, or, or progress it to a Ph.D., uh, then that BCS uh, certification is recognized as a bachelor's with honors. So it's definitely worth exploring because even if you didn't, if you thought, well, you know, you didn't necessarily want to take that particular certification with BCS, the way they've laid it out, it gives a really good kind of roadmap of, you know, of how to get from, uh, from not having a, 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 you know, a computer science specific degree and, and how you, how you can get there whilst, you know, still um, essentially, you know, doing a full-time something else, whether it's full-time work or full-time study in another field. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great system. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage anyone that is, uh, is curious just to take a look at it, even again, from an education perspective, just to educate yourself on kind of how that development program works. Kevin, just getting a little personal, what are those uh, uh, plaques behind you? <laughs> All right, so, <clears throat> excuse me a sec. <clears throat> So to answer the question on the plaques behind me there, on the right-hand side, obviously, you can see the So I'll just step out of those. So, so those are three, my, my three favourites of, uh, of a collection of guitars. So on, on those plaques there, that's all to do with music. Um, so the one at the top is a, is a gold uh, a gold record, not, not one that I produced, by the way, unfortunately, but it's a, a gold record of a particular song where the, the, I really love the lyrics. The lyrics are kind of so poetic and meaningful. And then below that, the two white plaques that you see, um, those are also uh, lyrics um, for, for two, two of my favorite songs. And then the one below that is, uh, it's a photograph of the Beatles um, walking down the streets of Liverpool. So uh, if you're trying to figure out the accent, it's kind of Liverpool-ish. Uh, my wife is actually from the city of Liverpool and I was raised uh, about seven miles outside of Liverpool. So I'm not allowed to say I'm from Liverpool. That's like a terrible crime. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, so it's just a little bit of my, my kind of favorite music uh, lyrics over there. Sure. 
I, I, I had come to audit in the UK uh, for Studer. Studer has those mixing mixers like consoles and stuff. And uh, they had all these uh, uh, conference rooms named after the dif different places like the Beatles, like Abbey something and all that. And, and at the time I was like trying to understand that's when I dig a little deep, bit deeper and I realized, you know, how all those musical references work together yeah. for the company. Hey, speaking of that, uh, I would completely tangential, but the University of Liverpool <clears throat> at one time, they actually had a, a master's programme and the master's programme was on the Beatles and popular culture. So you could literally get a, ma a master's degree at Liverpool <laughs> University in the Beatles and popular culture. I don't know if they still offer it, but that was uh, that was that was a thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I hope my kid doesn't ask me to pay for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Gavin, what are some books or certifications that you recommend for somebody who is like uh, interested in a career in cybersecurity? Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned in your opening comments, Nilva, about the you know the fact that I'm involved with uh, with Asaka I S A C A, and they literally just announced um, a new certification, and it's called the I I'm going to make sure I get the acronym correct. It's called the I T C A. It's Information Technology Certified Associate, uh, and so it's a great program for anyone that's either just starting out fresh. I mean, you may be like completely, you know, either coming towards the, the end of your college years or you're about to, to graduate or you've just graduated. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really great stacked course, stacked program that gives, you know, pretty much every aspect of, of IT, um, but with a, with a meaningful certification at the end of it. And so especially if, uh, you know, for somebody who's starting out or who's actually transitioning into uh, IT uh, and is, is trying to figure out, you know, which specialization do they actually want to go into, then the, the ITCA is a really great way to get that kind of, you know, all, all aspects of it. Um, and then, you know, if, if we've already kind of committed to, well, well, we'd like to get into more cybersecurity or things like that, I'd, I'd still encourage, you know, everyone to take a look at the Asaka um, offerings because they, um, as an example, if, you, if you're in audit, you know, the, the, there's a specific audit or IT audit certification from Asaka. Um, if we feel we're, we're less technologically minded, as I mentioned earlier, you, you know, cybersecurity and risk is not all about technology it's people and process as well so there's uh, the cism uh, the, you know which is a more of a, a management type uh, certification from asaka and the reason I'm highlighting those even if you don't take the certifications and as nilifer mentioned earlier you know we're not looking to represent any specific organization but i think that the asaka training program or, or curriculum not curriculum the their portfolio i should say the portfolio certifications in asaka they're really good again, just from a, just to get an understanding of because uh, they, they have, each one of them has recommended reading. So you might decide that you're not even going to take an Asaka based certification, but if nothing else, you'll get some some good good uh, uh, direction, if you like, on recommended reading for a specific journey that you might want to take. So I'd, enc I'd encourage you know to, to everyone to just take a look at those. Like I say even if you don't intend taking the exam. It'll give you some really good ideas and some, and some good uh, suggestions on reading and, and studying material. Sure, thank you so much. There's a question um, from um, one of our viewers and uh, he says, how do you suggest individual contributors grow organically within their organization? Yeah, so um, I, I guess it depends on what, first of all, on what you want to grow to. So if you, you mentioned specifically being an individual contributor. So perhaps you might be thinking about how do you grow into be into a management role? Perhaps that might be part of the question. 
And I'd say that, um, you know, as an individual contributor, we, we can always be a leader uh, as an individual contributor. In, th in fact, throughout my career, some of the most, um, you know, impactful um, periods of, of my career, a couple of those were where, in terms of an HR reporting system, I had zero direct reports. But what it did have was, 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 was leadership, um, as in, you know, lead, leading a whole team, you might say, um, that not one of those individuals reported to me, uh, but it was really being the leader of an initiative. <clears throat> so I'd say definitely look for those um, leadership opportunities as an individual contributor. Now, let's just be a little bit more practical. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, that sounds a little bit almost like so high level. So like, say, how would you put that into, into, into you know, something specific to go do? Uh, and, you know, I'd say a lot of it is to do with um, problem solving. So if you've recognized that there's a particular problem, uh, and again, ties up back almost to that, like that, so what? If we ask the question, so what, enough times, we, we start to understand the, the business relevance of the situation. So, you know, try to identify some of those opportunities where there's, um, there's something that is needed to be done uh, that's going to benefit the business overall, or it's going to benefit the operations, or, you know, it's going to benefit the uh, whatever organization you, you, you're, you're representing. And once you've identified that problem, uh, then see if there's a way that you personally can start to, to lead the solution. Uh, you know, you might, I mean, you might think, well, I need so-and-so from that department over there and I need this person from that department over here. And if the three or four of us get together, uh, you know, we can put a case, a lead, you know, business case together, you might say that we can then take to our leadership and say, hey, look, we've identified this problem. We think we know how to solve for it. We want to go ahead and do this. And essentially what you, you would be doing in, in, in taking that approach and finding a specific problem or, or opportunity, it doesn't have to be a problem, it could be an opportunity, you know, to, to, to develop and, and grow some part of the operation. But once you've identified it and you've, you've essentially come up with, a, with an approach and then you're the one leading the charge amongst, a, you know, a group of peers perhaps, uh, then essentially you're already, you know, doing several things. One is you, you're making a significant different contribution to, to your organization. You're also getting the opportunity to, to both grow and demonstrate leadership skills and leadership capability. And by solving either a problem or, you know, a, a new opportunity, you're also then going to get the kind of notoriety that goes with that as well. And that's going to help with, you know, with, with, with the, the next, uh, next step for your own kind of career development. Wow. Great. <laughs> Now you provided us with like steps which, which we can go in and execute on. Uh, very helpful. But um, coming back to like, you are considered an authority in risk quantification and strategy. And I know, I mean, you've spoken at many conferences, the Metric Stream Conference, the, Open, um, the Fair Institute Conference. And um, can you talk a little bit about why an organization needs to quantify IT risks or why about like risk quantification? Yeah, it's, um, I think when we think about any, any other aspects of business, first of all, uh, so just put cybersecurity and information risk to, to one side for a minute, but if we think about any other aspects of, of uh, business and business operations, we measure everything numerically. So um, let's say if I'm running a PL, you know, profit and loss. And so <clears throat> as part of my, my job you know one of the things i'm going to need to do is, is is financial forecasting so i could be doing forecasting on what i think the revenue growth is going to be or i could do a forecast on what cash flow uh, realization is going to be <clears throat> excuse me so if you look at the cash flow just as the example you know um obviously when factoring in you know cash flow forecast 
I need to look at obviously what sales were have already been you know completed. Um, essentially, what um, pay pay you know payments receive what receivables we have uh, on the system, and then also I have to factor in you know the potential for for non-payment bad debt, and there'll be some kind of percentage of uh, you know of formula that would use. So let's say I would look at the the um, the, the 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 receivables due. And let's say if that's $100 million, let's say it's $100 million. And if I wanted to factor in, you know, 2% of potential bad debt, then the way I would forecast that is say, well, I'm owed $100 million. That's going to be my uptail. Um, I, 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 normally, I get a 2% bad payment. So let's double that. Say I might get a 4%. It could be a terrible quarter. So that'll be my downtail is a 4% off, you know. Um, and then most likely is going to be, you know, 98% receivable. And I'm using that as an example because it's just numbers, numbers, numbers. And then when we come into cybersecurity, we then start saying um, low, medium, high, critical. Or we'll say, you know, red, amber, green. So, so, so we, we're trying to talk about the, the potential impact of cybersecurity risk on the business. And in any other domain of business, we talk about that impact in dollars and cents or pounds and pence, euros, centimos. It's all numbers, numbers, numbers. And then we come to a screeching halt on numbers when we get to cybersecurity and risk. And we say, now we start talking in, in low, medium, high critical. So therefore, given that you know, cybersecurity and risk management is all about supporting the business, enabling the business, and also kind of helping protect uh, you know, the profitability of the business, then we need to be speaking in in in, in numbers. And even if we don't um, get straight to you know dollars and cents, pound and pence, we still can we still can get there to a degree. Um, so you know we, we might be tempted to think about well you know exclusively about annualized loss expectancy, and that's where we try to come up with some formula that says you know if we spend next number of dollars on this particular security technology, then we'll avoid this potential loss over here. But even that kind of quantification can be somewhat um, uh, still very subjective. Um, and it also foundationally has a problem with it. And that is that the, there's an, an innate uh, assumption there that our role as cybersecurity and risk management professionals is to drive risk down. You know, so as we're trying to avoid a loss. And in reality, what we're looking to do is try to enable, sorry, sorry, try to optimize risk. And so as an example, when we start to come back to, you know, pounds and pence, dollars and cents, euros, centimos, or whatever currency we want to operate in. You know, if, we, if we've got, let's say there's a business opportunity and that business opportunity says, hey, we've got $100 million of opportunity here. Well, if, if, if it's cybersecurity and risk professionals, if we, once we analyze that, if we say, well, you've got a million dollars of risk, what will decision would that business leader make? Well, you know, she might say, well, um, I'll take the 99, great, thanks. <laughs> you know, so I've got 100 million opportunity. You just told me got a million dollars of risk. I'm gonna assume I'm gonna lose that. So $99 million is, let's go, you know. Oh, and by the way, in the meantime, can you try to drive that down? Because I'd really like to not lose any money at all. Well, the point being is, you know, that might be a decision that, that, that she would make as a business leader. But now think about this, this, the scenario where we say, okay, we have $100 million of business opportunity. And then cybersecurity and risk professionals, we say, well, you've got five criticals, four highs, and three mediums. So what decision is that business leader going to make? Well, she might pause. You know, she might say, well, oh, okay, well, can you solve for those five criticals first uh, and drive some of the risk down, and then we'll proceed? And the irony of this imaginary scenario, Nilofa, is that it's... Um, it's the, same, it's the same scenario. The only thing that's different 
is the way we're articulating the risk. But the way we're articulating the risk results in a different business decision. So let's say now if that business leader, she's like, well, okay, we'll delay, go, go solve those uh, for those issues. Then there's three material business downsides to that. Number one is, uh, is that business opportunity is now not going to be realized for as long as it takes us to solve for those critical risks. So let's say if there's a, is there, if there's a four month delay there, well, that means that we, when we think about you know, the cost of cash, the net present value of that deal, if we're starting to collect cash four months later now than we otherwise would have been, that's the value of four months worth of cash flow that we are not now going to realize because of that four months delay. So there's literally a financial downside to that decision. Uh, and then equally, um, we've got the whole cost of expediting and addressing those, what we've described as five critical risks. Um, and so essentially we have, we, have, we have a negative financial impact simply because of the way we represented the risk. Now that's not to say those critical risks should not be addressed, but the point being is, is that when we speak about risk in financial terms, or at least numeric terms, uh, and relatively relative numerics, then we, then we can have a much more business aligned, um, not only a conversation, but then we're making much more effective business decisions or with facilitators in much more effective business decisions. So and I use that example specifically because in, in that example, uh, we're not talking about trying to avoid loss. You know, hey, spend this money because if you don't, we might get hacked and would therefore this be the downside. I mean, that is one aspect of, of uh, risk management. But the other aspect is you know, what I call the upside of risk. And that is the, the, the example that I just gave would be potentially the upside of good risk management or effective risk management, but some of the financial Im negative impacts that can happen without that uh, ability to have a quantifiable uh, risk conversation. <clears throat> so that, that perhaps a longer answer than you might have been looking for in LF, but that, that's, um, you know, to me, that's why, you know, quantification of risk is, is an absolute prerequisite. And by the way, even if, um, even if we're not at the point of getting it to, to, a, to a, a real science of, you know, the true dollars and cents in the example I've just given, um, still going to quantification where we're using uh, relative numerics, you know, um, kind of risk as its own currency. Uh, you know, you've heard me talk about that before. Uh, that helps us to be, you know, much more effective, much more meaningful. Because when we think about those low, medium, high criticals, you know, we might be thinking about vulnerabilities, but there are so many other things about the environment that affect our overall risk posture. Vulnerabilities is one piece of it. Then we've got, you know, the overall architecture and how the system is designed, those uh, interconnections with third parties and, and how they are designed and how they are protected. Uh, how much of the infrastructure is being delivered from a cloud, plat you know, cloud platform or, or how much of it is being delivered as something as a service. Um, and so today, as a, as, a, as a profession, we represent all those domains of risk in low, medium, high, critical, you know, red, amber, green. And we're trying to meld all that together. And we're really just working in colors and gradients. Um, so in many ways, thinking about it mathematically, you know, we, 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 in cyber, we, cyber risk, we, as a profession generally, uh, we come up with the heat map first and then try to figure out the numbers from there. Uh, and most of the disciplines, you start off with the numbers and the heat map just becomes a representation of the numbers. So that's, uh, like I say, I think, you know, quantification of risk is, it's a prerequisite just like any other uh, domain of our business. Thank you so much. You really explained this whole concept and why business, it like why cybersecurity or risk professionals 
need to work towards quantification uh, to speak with business in their language. Because like you said, bad debts, how much risk I'm having in my business. So now they can, and you don't like provide them with something which is like say critical high, medium, low. And people can't like really talk in uh, money terms or dollar terms or how much risk are we, risk currency terms. Um, great initiative. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for joining us today, Gavin. I really appreciate you uh, coming and talking to us about cybersecurity, career growth, uh, risk, as well as like the various certifications or uh, efforts that people can put in steps like and another great um, next step that you provided us with asking so what like suppose somebody were to show a business leader this high medium risk critical this that the other now you you have provided them with a vocab which says so what <laughs> and you know like so what until they they can understand why exactly we are doing wh what we are doing and that helps us like when we get that pushback to think through things thank you so much appreciate you coming here and spending your morning with us absolutely no my, my, my absolute privilege so um hopefully we'll uh, if you know, we'll have an opportunity to sync up again in the future. Definitely, we will.